Welcome to the Arbor Vitae podcast, promoting virtue in woodworking. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Jonathan Conrad. And we'll be your co-hosts for today. Our mission is to explore how different virtues influence the way we live and work in the shop, how virtues contribute to the fruitfulness of our labor, and to highlight those who are making significant contributions to this great woodworking community. Um, What are you working on, Jonathan? Well, I am working on, right now, building beds for, uh, I have twin boys uh, that are turning three here in a month, and uh, well, that's actually a couple weeks now, October 28th, so I'm building twin wow. beds, twins, twin beds for twins, uh, made out of hickory, which is probably the toughest wood I've worked on before, and yeah, um, yeah it's, going, it's going well, it's going slowly. Um, but I'm taking my time and trying to do, uh, you know, trying to do, uh, the best I can. So look who just came in. Hey, perfect. So this is Ryan (laughs) and he's getting one of the beds. Hi, Ryan. Can you say hi? Say hi. Yeah. (laughs) How Um, you doing? How are you doing? Good. Okay. All right. We'll go get some breakfast. Okay. Okay. That was perfect. (laughs) Isn't that? Um, So, yeah. So, I'm working on these beds. um, And so, last night, I started doing the finishing work. Well, not finishing, but sanding, right? So, I get out the orbital sander, and I'm not making a dent in this stuff. Like, I've got 60-grit sandpaper on it, and I swear, like, it's not even scratching the surface. (laughs) And I hate sanding anyways. Like, I absolutely hate it. (laughs) So... What I did was I was like, you know, I have a card scraper. I'll just, uh, you know, I, I've seen people sharpen them. Like, I, you know, I bought the the, the whatever the, the the steel rod is to you know to uh, to sharpen them. Um, and I just, you know, I gave it a shot, and it and it didn't work the first time, and it didn't work the second time. But eventually, I kind of figured it out, um, and so. It looks like I'm going to be doing all the prep work with uh, my number five Stanley hand plane and a card scraper. And so far, I'm about I'm halfway through the um, the large pieces, and then there's eight vertical slats in each headboard and footboard. So that'll be a challenge. Is there 64 of them? Um, but oh my gosh! Ooh. But you know, uh, I, I've I still got a couple weeks left, um, and all the pieces are cut. Uh, all I've got to do is do the prep work, um, and then glue it up and put the finish on. So hopefully awesome. I'll have it done by their birthday. If not, I might be in trouble, but <laughs> that's what I'm hoping. So what's on your bench? Um, at the moment, uh, ironically enough, I'm also building, uh, beds. Uh, my sister has, um, three daughters, uh, one is six, and the other two are twins who uh, actually just turned three in February. Um, awesome. So, yeah, we're we're building. Uh, it, my brother and I are, are building it together, and our dad is helping us. But um, we're building a, uh, I guess it's twin over full bunk bed suite. Um, so the idea is that we have a uh, a full bed on the bottom that's going to have uh, drawers underneath for storage. And then oh, nice. over top of that is going to be like a loft bed okay. um, that's a bunk bed. And my sister didn't like the idea of having a ladder um, f- to get in and out of the bunk bed. Um, 
she saw a version on Amazon that she liked uh, that was out of her price range. Of course. That had, yeah. I'm pretty sure had... we have that bed in Matthew's room. With oh. the stairs. Yep, stairs. And yep. Um, I, I can't remember whether that had stairs to a dresser or not. Mm-hmm. But what, what ours is going to be, it's, it's going to have a standalone stair system. And then the top step of what would be the stairs is actually the top of a dresser. Okay, cool. Um, so there would be more storage there. And then the idea is um, this one that she saw on Amazon was also one big... I mean, it was prefab, obviously. You know, like um, yeah. like the stuff you get at Ikea. Um, but it was one big unit that was all like connected to itself. Right. Um, so it had to go one way in the corner. It wasn't modular at all. Um, so what we're doing is we've made each of the four pieces, the full bed the twin loft bed, the staircase thing, and then the dresser. We've made them all four separate pieces so that not only are they modular in that you could put them going either way in a corner mm-hmm. um, just by switching everything around, right? but eventually it will be... Uh, you'll be able to take the full bed out and put that in another room and then you could put like a desk or something under the loft bed. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, so hopefully she'll get a lot of use out of it. Um, you know, it's it's never a good idea, uh, and we can get into this um, when we talk about the purpose of woodworking, but uh, I feel like a lot of beginning woodworkers, myself included, tend to think, oh, I could build that for less than what I'd pay for it. Right. And um, <laughs> <laughs> famous last words, you really yep. can't. Uh, <laughs> not if you want to build it well. So, right. um, you know, basically what we're doing is we, we asked our sister to pay for the materials. Mm-hmm. We're doing all of the labor. And it ended up being kind of close to the price that Amazon was charging just in materials because obviously we're not buying in the bulk that something like Ikea is, right. you know, or wherever they're getting it from. Um, but I like to think that when all is said and done, ours will be sturdier than anything it, she could have bought prefab and hopefully it will stand the test of time, time versus I know the, the prefab furniture that I grew up with, you it would stay in the place that you built it for as long as you needed it to. But the second right. you moved it, it was done. <laughs> yep. Like all the joints come apart. And right. It's a one time thing. You put out. it together. You cannot <laughs> disassemble and reassemble. It's one. What's one? One use only. One home, non-transferable. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when we're just using uh, construction lumber. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, we got we got two by twelves because you know the the larger the construction lumber, the more stable it is. The more uh, quarter sawn material you can get on either side of the pith. Um, and, you know, again, because of time constraints, I mean, they, they need this uh, two months ago. Right. Um, we're doing uh, primarily pocket hole joinery, mm-hmm. um, you know, reinforced with glue and, and you know, glue blocks any, anywhere we need it. But um, the whole thing is going to be milk painted because um, my sister likes dark furniture, uh, like all of her all of the furniture in her house is like this dark chocolate brown. It's very much in vogue now. Um, But, you know, staining construction lumber has never gone well, ever. No, it doesn't look, it doesn't look great. No. So I, I, I was thinking, you know, how are we going to get this dark to match the rest of her furniture? 
and I was listening to Shop Talk Live, um, which is a okay. great podcast put on by the people at uh, Fine Woodworking. And um, one of the hosts, Matt Kenny, was talking about milk paint, and it just kind of clicked. I was like, oh, milk paint would be great because you can still see the grain of the wood through. You know, it's not like slapping a coat of latex over it, right. you know. Um, the grain still shows through. It's like a traditional finish. It would give me the ability to use milk paint, which I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, and we could mix together a nice dark chocolate brown, and it would dress up the construction lumber, but not cover up any of the, the grain. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's I think what that's, we're gonna do. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, a good option, and it'll you know that'll that'll last a long time. And even if even as the paint wears. You know, it, it typically wears in a way that it just becomes more rustic. So, exactly. Yeah. And we live in a log house, so um, it's it's very. And my sister and nieces live in an addition on that house, so it's a very um, much to my mom's chagrin. She doesn't like the whole like log cabin rustic kind of you know yeah. uh, homey country decor kind of thing, but it'll it'll fit very well. Cool. <laughs> so, all right. So what are we talking about today? Um, all right, the title is Purpose and Prudence. And so um, one of the, the goals of this podcast is um, we're both men of faith. Um, we're, we're not going to try to hide that. Um, but it's not primarily a podcast about faith on its own. Uh, it's a, prodca- a podcast about how faith influences our work. Um, and we want to make it interesting for people who, you know, may not have a faith, uh, at the moment, um, who just like woodworking and want their woodworking to be more fruitful. Um, so what we're going to look at is how virtue, which is universal, whether you believe in any particular faith or not, how virtue can impact the work that you do in the shop and how it can benefit yourself and other people. Um, so for today, what we're going to talk about is the purpose of woodworking. Why do we woodwork? Uh, you know, Jonathan and Adam, the, the host, why do we woodwork? But then also, why does everyone in the community woodwork? How are, what are the different permutations of that? You know, professionals, hobbyists, a mix in between. Yeah, because we then, all have different purposes, um, right. you know, some of us work, uh, woodworking is our full-time, uh, career. It's what provides for us if we are, you know, on our own and what provides for our families, uh, if, you know, if we're, if we're blessed with children. Um, right. and so that's, that, that's a purpose is to, to be a source of income, uh, either a primary source or a secondary source. Maybe, you know, somebody has a job, right. But, it's not paying the bills. Um, and so woodworking might be a second source of income to, you know, maybe, maybe it's getting kids through college or it's uh, a transition from, you know, a, a, a wife that's working to a wife that's staying home, taking care of the kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios where, you know, a second source of income can be really important. Um, and then for, for many of us, um, woodworking is simply a hobby. Uh, something that we are passionate about, something that we enjoy doing, um, and that allows us to learn new skills, challenge ourselves, uh, and 
and give back something to our family, our friends, and the, and the greater community. I think that's one of the things that I've been drawn to the most it, with woodworking recently. Um, and really what helped me grow is this woodworking community that exists. I didn't realize it existed until I got on Instagram a couple of years ago. And I've been blown away by all of the amazing woodworkers that are out there, but then their willingness to share their wisdom, their knowledge, um, their resources, their time uh, to help and inspire others um, like myself to, uh, you know, to get into the trade as well. Uh, right. So we'll be talking through a lot of those things. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned a lot of it. Um in, in talking about, you know, uh, professional woodworkers, hobbyist woodworkers. Um, and I think even to a degree, hobbyist woodworkers, there, there's a general tendency, once you start making a lot of this stuff, um, you know, and you start giving it away, people are going to say to you, oh, why don't you sell your stuff? You know, uh, this is great. People would buy this. Yeah. Um, and which is, I think, something that all of us, you know, first we get bitten by the woodworking bug. And we, you know, we love it and, and we pour ourselves into it, but then we get bitten by the woodworking for profit bug. And that's I what, think that's what I got know. bitten by, you know, early in, I don't remember it was, I guess it would have been 2014. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it can be a natural progression. Um, but that's why having your purpose defined is so important. Um, Exactly, because are you are you selling your work because you want a secondary or even primary source of income, or are you just selling your work to fund the hobby so that you don't have to draw on your primary finances or your family's finances to spend money on this hobby that you really like and that that gives you you know to some degree a, a, a sense of purpose. Um, Absolutely, and so that's kind of where you know. I, that's the learning lesson um, that I had that I've taken away from my, you know, the, the first year and a half of my woodworking is that I, you know, I, I grew up uh, woodworking with my grandfather. So I'd go down to Arkansas uh, every, every summer and, and, and even Thanksgivings. And every time I went down there, I'd spend some time in the garage with my grandfather and we'd build something. Um, Every grandchild of his, so that he's got, there are 10 of us, we all have a letter lamp, uh, and it's a lamp uh, with our first, the, the initial of our first name, of our first name. So I have a J lamp, my brother has a C lamp, my sister has a K lamp, and there's 10 That's of awesome. these, right? And um, I still have mine, I, I know my brother still has his, um, but, you know, we would just build we would just build something every time I was down there. So something could, you know, as simple as like, I've got a toy rifle. It's just, it's just a piece of wood with, with a dowel rod on the end, you know, a thick, probably an inch and a half dowel rod, um, nice. for the barrel. Um, and my son's running around with it now. Uh, one of the other projects I remember is we made a, a little toy boat that had a battery powered motor that we got at Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. And the thing went, I don't think it really actually went at all. I mean, the motor ran, right? It didn't go anywhere, but <laughs> I still remember this. And I, I may have been 10 when I built this. Um, and so, you know, I had growing up, obviously my, my grandfather influenced kind of the woodworking piece. My mom was an artist. She, she was an art teacher. 
So a lot of the artistic aspects of woodworking, you know, came from and were inspired by, you know, what I what I learned from her growing up and what she taught us from a creativity standpoint. Um, and then, you know, my dad is an engineer, um, although a chemical engineer, problem solving, right? So, sure. you know, did I do a lot of actual woodworking projects with my dad? Not necessarily, but every month it seemed like there was some project that we had to do at the house, whether it was putting in a patio um, or fixing something that was broken. We were always problem solving, doing things with our hands. Um, you know, rarely did we say, ah, we'll go pay somebody to do that. Right. So that's what I grew up with, right? And then, you know, went to college, got married, bought a house, and that's when it really started kicking in for me that I could make furniture for the family. Um, we did a family photo shoot early on after our oldest was born, and I didn't like the frames, so I started making frames. Um, and that's kind of when I got hit by that bug, oh, you should sell those frames. I was like, you're right, I should. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, that's a great idea. And so I started doing that. Um, the, the, the struggle though, was that I never really said what my goal was. You know, I said in my head, oh, woodworking can be a second source of income. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll make some money and it'll help cover the costs of, you know, the twins had, the twins were just born. So that was three boys. Um, you know, we, we always wanted my wife to stay home, um, so that, that she could, um, take care of them, um. And so I said to myself, yeah, I'm going to do woodworking. I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm going to bring in some extra money to, you know, help cover the costs. The problem was, is that I quickly forgot that. And so at the end of the calendar year, when I went around to do, you know, taxes, actually, I looked and I said, oh my gosh, I've spent more than I brought in. And I brought in a pretty good amount of money, Wow! but I spent more than I, than I had actually brought in. Uh, so I, you know, I reported an actual loss and I was like, wait a minute, this was supposed to be something that brought, you know, helped, helped the family. And what it did actually was took me away from them. I spent every night in the shop for three or four months, you know, working on, on frames and other projects, trying to bring in money. But then I would go buy new tools. I would go buy more materials. And so I had a garage full of crap. Uh, and, and very little to show for it. Wow. And so I'd kind of lost sight of the purpose that I had told myself I was doing it for and what I had told my wife I was doing this for. I'd lost sight of that. And not surprisingly, I wasn't enjoying it at that point. I wasn't having fun. Uh, I was stressed out a lot. And, and it's like I knew there needed to be a change. So that's kind of when I, I took a break from woodworking for probably at least three weeks, if not a month. Uh, and I went back to kind of the, the, the fundamentals that my parents taught me in, in the faith and prayer and said, I know that woodworking did not bring me the joy that I was hoping it was going to. And I know that it's not that woodworking is bad. Woodworking is, is wonderful. It's, it's, it goes back to for as long as we know, as far as recorded history, you know, Jesus's father here on earth, St. Joseph was a carpenter. And it's right. like, so woodworking isn't the problem here. It's, it's my priorities are the problem. Uh, you know, because woodworking is not my full-time job. It was taking me away from everything that was more important than it. 
And so I started and kind of rebuilt things, starting with, okay, I know I need a prayer life. I know I need a faith life. Uh, that has to be my source of joy. And so I started slowly but surely building things back up with prayer, then family, then my own job that, you know, that is my primary source of income, and then woodworking. And that's when I started to find true joy and fulfillment in woodworking, but it radically transformed how I perceived it and how I approached it. Because now it is truly a hobby. It is something that I create for others. With the time that I have left over at the end of the day, after I've spent time at work, after I've spent time with the family, after I play with the boys, and sometimes, yeah, it's still tempting to spend more time than I have on it. Um, but it is remarkably more fulfilling now than it was, you know, before. And largely because I've, I think I've found um, a, a, right, a right place for it in my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's why we're talking about purpose and prudence uh, today is because you know, I can speak from personal experience of how important it is to know what that is if you hope for woodworking to be something that can, you know, bring uh, joy and fulfillment in your life and, and be fruitful. So, you know, Adam, maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, what prudence is and why it's relevant to, you know, helping other helping somebody determine um, and discern a purpose for their their, their their career in woodworking, whether it's a professional career or a, a, a hobby career. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, I don't I don't have the the textbook definition of prudence uh, with me right here. I I was uh, woefully unprepared. That's all um, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, in terms of of being prudent, um, it's it's about giving things that which they are due and putting things in their proper place and and uh, balancing things um, with with their purpose and and therefore what is just to give them in terms of percentage of your time and and attention and energy um, you know doing things that are that are wise to do and knowing when to stop doing them um, so what struck me about your story is you know you're you're woodworking less now than when you were in the middle of your sort of production mode yeah and yet it sounds like you're getting infinitely more fulfillment from it and enjoyment without a doubt and um, you could even say that even though you're sort of producing less it seems like it is your it is you're getting more out of it it's more fruitful thank you that was yes it's more fruitful um so that i feel like is where prudence comes in um knowing when to pull back and when that will actually get more out of it more of what should be gotten out of it the the sort of fruits of this um so i feel like maybe you know uh we can challenge our listeners to take a look at their purpose um and how much effort and time and money and resources they're putting into woodworking um 
and find out if that is prudent for their state in life, um, for their purpose as a woodworker. Um, for myself, uh, I started woodworking as a hobby. I mean, in, in terms of actual woodworking. Um, my dad is a lifelong carpentry teacher. Uh, he actually just retired this past year. Um, but for over 20 years, he taught carpentry at a technical high school. And uh, he worked as a as a carpenter actually on job sites before then, um, building houses and, and uh, light commercial work. Um, and so the interesting thing is he's built nearly every house he's he and my mother have ever lived in since they've gotten married that's so cool it, it's it's really inspiring and um you know, what's your would, earliest rem- memory from like you know the first thing you remember either building or watching your your dad build um you know it's it's actually not a house uh which is funny um because the the house that uh the house that I grew up in in the early part of my childhood, we moved into when I was a year old. So I have no memory of the building yeah. of that house, of course. Right. Um, I, I'd say it's probably scroll sawing Christmas ornaments. Okay. Um, my dad didn't really do anything that we would consider like fine woodworking or, or um, you know, a lot of it was, was carpentry. And I certainly don't mean to... Uh, <laughs> imply that there is uh, less skill in carpentry than there is in They're woodworking. They're just it's two just very different skills. Completely different. If you were to go on a job site as a woodworker and try to apply <laughs> the the nitpicking, nitty-gritty, you know, uh, scrupulosity that we have as woodworkers on a job site, you'd be thrown out in an instant. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, look how quickly... I mean, we, we laugh because it takes us, you know six months to build a piece of furniture well in that same time a good carpentry crew can raise outfit and completely you know finish a house right um and they're winning yeah yeah they they definitely win um (laughs) but uh but you know my dad that that was his job and right it was not his hobby um so he'd do it when it benefited our family but it wasn't something that he could just say oh i feel like building a house today i'm gonna go you know build a house in my backyard no um so he he bought a scroll saw um we actually still have it and uh we're working on building a new shop here at the house and um, it's been sitting in the basement and he hasn't been able to use it but his favorite thing to do was to take like quarter inch oak stock um and uh scroll saw these christmas ornaments um, I mean, he scroll sawed a lot of things. He's, he would do like, um, you know, crosses, very elaborate, like standing crosses that would fit into a little base and, mm-hmm. um, you know, stuff like that. But I bet it's pretty cool to put those on the tree every year. It is. It's awesome. Um, they're our favorite ornaments. We have way too many ornaments, probably like every family. Um, you know, you just collect ornaments and ornaments and they ornaments. They all come with a memory. This. Well, they do, yeah. Um, and we actually... You know, like I said, we live in a log house. Uh, the The first floor has a loft, and so what we've done in the past is we've gotten these big eighteen foot Christmas trees um, that sit in the first floor and go up into the loft of the second floor. Um, and you know, it's pretty hard to fill an eighteen foot 
tree with with ornaments but we have all of the ornaments and more that are necessary to do that so like, yeah. we just we can't put all of the ornaments on the trees especially now that you know my parents are getting older and they don't necessarily want to put the effort into an 18 foot tree we have to pick and choose well dad's ornaments always go up because you know they're the the most <laughs> right. important they're ones to us ornaments. you know um so and it, and cool. it is awesome it's it's neat to to look at those every year um but that's probably my earliest memory and so uh when i was 10 years old we built the house that we're living in now um and we built it together as a family we got uh we bought the log home kit um so it basically came with all of the logs you know not even necessarily all cut to size just all of the logs that you'd need so it's a little bit harder than ikea furniture yeah a little bit think think like um Lincoln High logs. stakes Lincoln logs. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Life and, size uh, Lincoln logs. Basically. Um, but they're cedar. So they were, I mean, they were, they were fairly light. Like as a 10 year old, I could pick up an eight foot log and carry mm-hmm. it by myself. And I was, I was a pudgy, you know, non-athletic <laughs> little 10 year old kid who yeah. you know, was a bookworm. Um, and I could lift an eight foot log. So, uh, you know, it, it was fine, but it was still a lot of work, of course. And um, they were all numbered and lettered and, and, you know, there were plans and stuff that that were, you know, put this log here, cut it to this length, bolt it to this, you know, all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, my dad was making modifications sort of on the fly to the plans um, because, you know, this stuff is just second nature to him. So right. um, we would do stuff like that all the time and and you know household projects um when my sister and brother-in-law got married uh they moved into um we finished half of our basement and they moved into a suite that we did um and so we you know we finished the basement together again i you know i helped with that um and it's actually where my wife and i are living now um we just got married uh last august so um you know, it's it's something that has always been a part of my life, but it wasn't really until um, probably like January of 2014 that um, my brother and I actually, uh, at the same time, but not in a coordinated effort, yeah. both got interested in finer woodworking. Um, and we just devoured all of the content that we could find. And you know, we were very much in the consuming mode. Like, we didn't necessarily realize that there was a woodworking community yet. We just knew that there were these people out there who were very generously posting, you know, uh, videos of themselves. That's where I started demonstrating too. Techniques and yeah, around that same time, uh, in you know, in two thousand, I think for me it was yeah, it was two thousand thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, watching Jay Bates. Uh, and the wood whisper on YouTube thinking, yeah, it's like, well, there's these two guys, but it seems like that's it. And then you start right. to, I mean, I remember considering myself a consumer of, you know, a content consumer. Right. Uh, you know, I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to create my own channel. I was simply taking advantage of, you know, the, the, the wisdom and knowledge that those, um, and obviously there are plenty of others as time grew on, but those are the two that I remember starting with. Um, and then shortly after there, I think, you know, like Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff. It's like those those were the, the videos that I started watching. And that was long before I had even discovered Instagram. Exactly. Um, 
yeah, I, I remember starting the exact same way. I think the the very first one that we came across was Steve Ramsey of uh, Woodworking for Mere Mortals. Yep. Yeah. And um, that was perfect because when we got into woodworking, we didn't, you know, grab a, a, a handsaw and chisels and planes. Like, we were like, okay, dad's got a chop saw that we can use, and we've got my grandfather's old table saw. And, uh, you know, I the very first tool that I went out and bought was a drill press. I mean, yeah. it's one of the least used tools in my shop, but for whatever project I was working on, I needed a drill press. And, you know, I, I just bought one. Um, you know, I had the money, I, I went out and bought it. And I'm not sorry that I did, it's just funny to look back on it and, and think like, oh wow, of all of the things, if I were starting over again, yeah, a drill press is light years away from the first tool I'd buy. <laughs> right. But that's what I bought, and... Um, you know, because it was what we didn't have, and and so uh, as we found more and more of these content creators, we started to notice that there was sort of a trend in that you know there were build offs that they'd all do together, or they'd do like collaborative stuff, or you know going and and finding them on Facebook. You'd notice, oh, the, well, there's this, there's all these other people who are on Facebook who are are you know doing this same thing and going onto the various forum uh, sites and and things. Um, we started to realize, oh, there's there's a big community of woodworkers, and the the generosity and the camaraderie and the the building each other up that happens among woodworkers in this online community is astounding. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced online. Like you tend to think, oh, well, the internet is for trolls. You know, and and people who hide behind this shroud of anonymity they and exist. feel like they can say whatever they want, right? And well, but that's we thought it, they were dominating the internet. You know, like that's the purpose of the internet. It's you know, get what you can and get out as quickly as you can so that you don't get attacked. Right. Well, you know, in comes the woodworking community, and for for one thing, very few people are anonymous. Um, you know, at, at least in terms of the content creators themselves, it's a very personal uh, sort of thing. And, you know, you get the idea that this isn't just some persona. They're not a, a TV show host who comes out and says, all right, today I'll be woodworking for you. You know, it's no, they're they're people just like you and I yeah. who uh, do woodworking and, and they want to share it with other people. And so we sort of transitioned from consumers into not necessarily content creators until, well, right now yep. uh, with this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but, um, but like just active members of the community, instead of just liking a video or a post on Instagram, I'd comment, you know, I'd say, Hey, great job. You know? Um, and it was that sort of like commenting and getting more involved in being an active member um, that got me to thinking about the idea for this podcast um, being something that I could give back to the woodworking community. Um, and then when I was looking for someone else to do this podcast with me, um, I actually reached out to you. Of course, you know this, but for our yeah. listeners' sake, I reached out to you on Instagram um, exactly. because my handle is Catholic Composer uh, and your handle is the Catholic Woodworker. And so, you know, we had started following each other and, you know, commenting on each other's work and stuff. Um, and it sort of grew into this little 
uh, friendship, but, you know, acquaintanceship, you know. Yeah. Um, but I could tell, based on the idea that I had for this podcast and based on the stuff that you were putting out, that you would probably be a good fit for a co-host. So I came to you, and lo and behold, you had actually been contemplating doing a similar thing in blog. Right, form. I had given I had given thought to to exactly what you just said. How can I contribute, give back uh, generously? You know, because everyone goes through a different experience and learns. And and this is, I mean, this is life in general, right? Right. Your experiences shape who you are. And what you learn from those experiences, you know, in, in some some ways we kind of have an obligation uh, to share that and, and help others who are struggling with some of the things that we've struggled with. Whether it's how to cut a hand, you know, how to hand cut a dovetail or how to, uh, you know, deal with the tragedy of a loss of a family member or something like that. You know, it, 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 sure. it's, it's different, but it's the same. And, and so... It's not you think. Why are there so many people creating content online? You know, trying to teach others how to woodwork. And you could say that there might be some people that are are maybe doing it selfishly. We don't know that, right? All we see is them putting an exerted effort into creating content that teaches somebody how to do something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, that can be a purpose, right? Because that hobby it starts with you. I mean, it's selfish, but it, it, it has to be that way to begin with, right? You're selfish in that you're consuming somebody else's, you know, hard-earned education programs because you need it in order to learn. And you've got to learn and be good and excel at something before you're in a position to be able to help somebody else. Right. Um, but you get to that point and you start to think, hey, this was this this experience has been phenomenal. I want others to be able to, you know, go through similar experiences. And it's like, I know that I struggled early on with certain things and I want to help those who are coming after me, maybe, you know, learn from my own experiences so they don't have to struggle as much as I did, um, or at least know that they're not alone in their struggles. Like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't cut a, uh, I can't cut a dovetail to save my life. Well, it's like, no one could the first time they did it. Right. Uh, but after the 10th time or the 50th time or the 100th time, you start to get the hang of it. Now, for the record, I don't know how to cut them. I've tried and I've and I failed, but I haven't tried that much. It's kind right. of like that's that's on my top five <laughs> list of skills that I want to learn here next. Uh, but I figured like with the with the bunk beds or not the bunk beds, they're just twin beds. But the beds I'm building, I, I was like mortise and tenon joints. I want these things to last forever. Yep. And I figure mortise and tenon joints are, you know, perfect for this project. And so that's what I went about going and doing. And I hadn't cut a mortise and tenon joint before, certainly not in Hickory, mm-hmm. nor did I really know how to sharpen a blade until I had to use a hand plane on a piece of Hickory. Uh, because I could cut walnut like butter. I put the same blade on, on the Hickory and the plane jumps around and tears out, and it was a disaster. Uh, but, you know, that's where I kind of had to persevere. And uh, and slowly but surely, I, I developed those skills. And a lot of what I tried and what I did was the things that I learned from those who had created videos or articles on, you know, how to do uh, mortise and tenon joinery, uh, like Paul Sellers. 
is you know a great a great teacher, uh, especially of 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 hand hand tool woodworking skills. Sure. Well, and and uh, you know aside from from woodworking skills, um, you know what we hope to be able to give back is the the whole experience of of virtue in woodworking. So one of the things that I think you especially, Jonathan, can can give is your advice on the struggle that you went through, uh, which is exactly what we're talking about now with, with, um, you know, finding your purpose in woodworking and bringing it to a level that is, that is prudent for where you are in your current state of life. Um, and so, you know, yeah, people don't know how to cut dovetails, but I'm sure that there are as many people who are struggling with, uh, maybe a, a woodworking business that, is not fulfilling or is not producing the profit that they need or, um, you know, is, is somehow not living up to their full potential. Um, I suspect there are, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm probably not the only one that's, that struggled with this. And, you know, looking back on it, uh, I think one of the main differences between then and now is, and obviously, you know, I still have a long way to go. Um, I'm always trying to, for, as a woodworker, as well as a man of faith, um, mm-hmm. you know, being a better husband, being a better father, uh, being a better disciple. Uh, those are all things that I will never stop working on. Um, but the main difference was, you know, looking back, I was selfish during that time. I was doing it for me, not for those I was creating products for. Uh, I certainly wasn't, I said I was doing it for my family, but they did not see any fruits from that labor because I spent all the money on tools and, and materials. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it can't be fulfilling if, if it is the, the fulfillment comes from sharing something, a gift that God gave you with somebody else that's fulfilling. Right. But if you're taking all that in, and doing it for yourself, and and you're the only one that's benefiting from it, you're not really benefiting from it, um, and you're certainly not going to be able to really find lasting uh, fulfillment from it. Uh, and it's like so until I turned woodworking outward and started focusing on how can I use the talents that God gave me to bring joy to others, that I started to find what I was really looking for in it. Um, because woodworking in and of itself can't be a source of fulfillment. It's what it's a tool that you use to you know for uh, to to create something beautiful. And so, you know, doing bookshelves for my my sister-in-law was a extremely rewarding project. Uh, you know, I spent a couple couple hours here and there over the course of three or four months. Um, and it's not in my house; it's in her house. But every time I go over there, I'm reminded of that project, and I know that it brings them joy. And that was way more rewarding than, you know, building something for my shop or, um, you know, doing something just for me. Not that there's anything wrong with building shop furniture, but it's like, um, you know, there's a balance between what you need in order to be effective in what you're doing. Um, and, and, and what other people are getting out of, of that, that, that talent and that gift that God has given us. Sure. Well, and I think it's also important to, 
just clarify that we're we're not against leisure. Um, there's Certainly nothing wrong not. with That's leisure. That's also important. Yeah, it's 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 vital um, for our existence to give ourselves time off and to you know there's nothing wrong with a hobby that doesn't produce income or you know things like that. But I think what we need to focus on as woodworkers or not, I mean. There are, there are people hopefully listening to this podcast who aren't woodworkers, um, you know, or, or who may want to be woodworkers and aren't yet, um, but or who do other crafts or hobbies or activities. The key is is intent and grounding whatever hobby you're doing in some sort of fruitful giving of yourself, whether it's giving back to yourself, you know, for self-edification, which is also a good thing. Um, if you're teaching yourself things, if you're learning new things, or uh, preferably if you're doing it for other people in some way, it's the intent behind any sort of hobby or activity that is going to determine whether that is fruitful. Um, and so one of the things that we want to do um, for every show of this podcast is we want to challenge our listeners um, to think about how whatever topic we're talking about affects their lives and um, what your experiences are in this matter. Um, so what we'd like to do is we'd like to challenge you, our listeners, to think about the purpose for your woodworking or other hobby um, and what it what place it has in your life uh, right now but then also think about what place it ought to have in your life and they might be the same thing and and you know mazel tov that's fantastic um, wait but way to go <laughs> uh, but they might not be uh, you know and I, I know for myself um, there is definitely a lot of soul searching that goes into it um, and especially since I've gotten to know Jonathan and since I've heard his story, um, it's helpful for me because every step I want to take in woodworking, I now take a step back and say, is this something that's going to help me? Is this something that's going to help other people? Is this going to make my work more fruitful? Um, so we'd like you to take a look at your own lives and then tell us about it. Um, whether that's going to our website and commenting on the post for this episode or on uh, any of our social media channels. Um, but start that conversation and let us know how it's going for you. And hopefully then we can all chime in on each other's conversations and give each other advice and build each other up and, and you know, keep, keep the message going. Yeah, and the other thing to think about is... <clears throat> Who, you know, who has inspired you? Uh, you know, we, we shared kind of our role models. You know, my, my obviously there are plenty of role models in our lives, right? But from, from a woodworking standpoint, you know, my grandfather and Adam's father uh, really helped inspire our passion for woodworking. Give that thought too. You know, what yes. is it about that individual, your experiences with them that drew you to woodworking because I have a feeling that it's more about them and who they were than it is about just the things that you created. In other words, it's not the things that you created that draw you to those experiences, but the experience itself and most likely probably the virtue that they, uh, they portrayed that you 
learn from them that has drawn you to them. So give that some thought as well. And, and think about also who who's inspiring you today and what they're drawing you to. Uh, because all these things really matter uh, when you're looking at trying to uh, you know, use work, woodworking for something that, that is, is truly joyful and fulfilling. So where can you find us? You can find us on our website at arborvitaepodcast.com. We're also on Instagram at arborvitaepodcast and Facebook. And then I, Jonathan Conrad, you can find me at on Instagram at the Catholic Woodworker and Adam Work and others find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as well, uh, at Catholic Composer. And then um, at some point here in the future... Uh, I will be adding a website um, for a, a little side project that we'll talk about in, in future podcasts, but that's sort of a little teaser to put out there. Awesome. So thanks everyone so much for listening. We've certainly enjoyed this and we hope you have as well. Uh, we'd love to hear your questions, uh, whether you have questions for us about our woodworking uh, past or, or what we're doing now or want to share your stories uh, or any questions you have feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram or on our website directly um, and look for our next episode which will probably air in, in two weeks uh, where we will be talking about profit and justice we look forward to that as well God bless God bless